Section 14 of Manners, Customs, and Dress. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ruth Golding. Manners, Customs, and Dress during the Middle Ages and during the Renaissance period by Paul Lacroix. Section 14. Repasts and feasts. We have had to treat elsewhere of the rules and regulations of the repasts under the Merovingian and Carlovingian kings. We have also spoken of the table service of the thirteenth century. See chapter on private life. The earliest author who has left us any documents on this curious subject is that excellent bourgeois to whom we owe the Ménagier de Paris. He describes, for instance, in its fullest details, a repast which was given in the fourteenth century by the Abbé de Lagny to the Bishop of Paris, the President of the Parliament, the King's Attorney and Advocate, and other members of his council, in all sixteen guests. We find from this account that, quote, My Lord of Paris, occupying the place of honour, was, in consequence of his rank, served on covered dishes by three of his squires, as was the custom for the king, the royal princes, the dukes and peers. That Master President, who was seated by the side of the bishop, was also served by one of his own servants, but on uncovered dishes, and the other guests were seated at table according to the order indicated by their titles or charges. End quote. The bill of fare of this feast, which was given on a fast day, is the more worthy of attention, in that it proves to us what numerous resources cookery already possessed. This was especially the case as regards fish, notwithstanding that the transport of fresh sea fish was so difficult, owing to the bad state of the roads. First, a quarter of a pint of grenache was given to each guest on sitting down, then Quote, hot échaudé, roast apples with white sugar plums upon them, roasted figs, sorrel and watercress and rosemary. End quote. Soups: a rich soup composed of six trout, six tenches, white herring, fresh water eels salted twenty-four hours, and three whiting soaked twelve hours. Almonds, ginger, saffron, cinnamon powder, and sweetmeats. Salt-water fish, soles, gurnets, congers, turbots, and salmon. Fresh-water fish, looks, faudis, pike with roe, carps from the marne, breams. Side-dishes, lampreys à la boeuf, orange-apples, one for each guest, porpoise with sauce, mackerel, soles, bream, and shad à la cameline, with verjuice, rice, and fried almonds upon them, sugar and apples. Dessert, stewed fruit with white and vermilion sugar-plums, figs, dates, grapes, and filberts. Hippocras, for issue de table, with oubli and supplication. Wines and spices compose the bout or. End quote. To this fasting repast we give by way of contrast the bill of fare at the nuptial feast of Master Elie, quote, to which forty guests were bidden on a Tuesday in May, a day of flesh, 
End quote. Soups, capons with white sauce, ornamented with pomegranate and crimson sweetmeats. Roasts, quarter of roe deer, goslings, young chickens, and sauces of orange, cameline, and verjuice. Side dishes, jellies of crayfish and loach, young rabbits and pork. Dessert, frumenté and venison. Issue, hippocras, boot or wine and spices. End quote. The clever editor of the Ménagier de Paris, Monsieur le Baron Jérôme Pichon, after giving us this curious account of the mode of living of the citizens of that day, thus sums up the whole arrangements for the table in the fourteenth century. Quote, the different provisions necessary for food are usually entrusted to the squires of the kitchen, and were chosen, purchased, and paid for by one or more of these officials, assisted by the cooks. The dishes prepared by the cooks were placed, by the help of the esquires, on dressers in the kitchen until the moment of serving. Thence they were carried to the tables. Let us imagine a vast hall hung with tapestries and other brilliant stuffs. The tables are covered with fringed tablecloths and strewn with odoriferous herbs. One of them, called the Great Table, is reserved for the persons of distinction. The guests are taken to their seats by two butlers who bring them water to wash. The Great Table is laid out by a butler with silver salt cellars, golden goblets with lids for the high personages, spoons and silver drinking cups. The guests eat at least certain dishes on tranchoirs, or large slices of thick bread, afterwards thrown into vases called couloirs, drainers. For the other tables the salt is placed on pieces of bread, scooped out for that purpose by the intendants, who are called porte-chap. In the hall is a dresser covered with plate and various kinds of wine. Two squires, standing near this dresser, give the guests clean spoons, pour out what wine they ask for, and remove the silver when used. Two other squires superintend the conveyance of wine to the dresser. A varlet, placed under their orders, is occupied with nothing but drawing wine from the casks. End quote. At that time, wine was not bottled, and they drew directly from the cask the amount necessary for the day's consumption. Quote, the dishes, consisting of three, four, five, and even six courses, called mets, or assiettes, are brought in by varlets and two of the principal squires, and in certain wedding feasts the bridegroom walked in front of them. The dishes are placed on the table by an assayeur, placer, assisted by two servants. The latter take away the remains at the conclusion of the course, and hand them over to the squires of the kitchen, who have charge of them. After the mets, or assiette, the tablecloths are changed, and the entremets are then brought in. This course is the most brilliant of the repast, and at some of the princely banquets the dishes are made to imitate a sort of theatrical representation. It is composed of sweet dishes, of coloured jellies, of swans, of peacocks, or of pheasants, adorned with their feathers, having the beak and feet gilt, and placed on the middle of the table on a sort of pedestal. 
To the entremets, a course which does not appear on all bills of fare, succeeds the dessert. The issue, or exit from table, is mostly composed of hippocras and a sort of oubli called mestier, or in summer, when hippocras is out of season on account of its strength, of apples, cheeses, and sometimes of pastries and sweetmeats. The bout or, wines and spices, end the repast. The guests then wash their hands, say grace, and pass into the chambre de parement, or drawing-room. The servants then sit down and dine after their masters. They subsequently bring the guests wine and épices de chambre, after which each retires home. End quote. But all the pomp and magnificence of the feasts of this period would have appeared paltry a century later, when royal banquets were managed by Taillevon, head cook to Charles the Seventh. The historian of French cookery, Le Grand Dossy, thus describes a great feast given in 1455 by the Count of Anjou, third son of Louis the Second, King of Sicily. Quote, On the table was placed a centrepiece which represented a green lawn, surrounded with large peacock's feathers and green branches, to which were tied violets and other sweet-smelling flowers. In the middle of this lawn a fortress was placed covered with silver. This was hollow and formed a sort of cage in which several live birds were shut up, their tufts and feet being gilt. On its tower, which was gilt, three banners were placed, one bearing the arms of the Count, the two others those of Mesdemoiselles de Chateaubrun and de Villequier, in whose honour the feast was given. The first course consisted of a civet of hare, a quarter of stag which had been a knight in salt, a stuffed chicken and a loin of veal. The two last dishes were covered with a German sauce with gilt sugar-plums and pomegranate seeds. At each end, outside the green lawn, was an enormous pie, surmounted with smaller pies which formed a crown. The crust of the large ones was silvered all round and gilt at the top. Each contained a whole roe-deer, a gosling, three capons, six chickens, ten pigeons, one young rabbit, and, no doubt to serve as seasoning or stuffing, a minced loin of veal, two pounds of fat, and twenty-six hard-boiled eggs, covered with saffron and flavoured with cloves. For the three following courses there was a roe-deer, a pig, a sturgeon cooked in parsley and vinegar, and covered with powdered ginger, a kid, two goslings, twelve chickens, as many pigeons, six young rabbits, two herons, a leveret, a fat capon stuffed, four chickens covered with yolks of eggs and sprinkled with powder de duc, spice, a wild boar, some wafers, dariole, and stars, a jelly, part white and part red, representing the crests of the three above-mentioned persons, cream with duke powder, covered with fennel seeds preserved in sugar, a white cream, cheese in slices, and strawberries, and lastly, plums stewed in rose-water. Besides these four courses, there was a fifth, entirely composed of the prepared wines then in vogue, and of preserves. These consisted of fruits and various sweet pastries. 
The pastries represented stags and swans, to the necks of which were suspended the arms of the Count of Anjou and those of the two young ladies. End quote. In great houses, dinner was announced by the sound of the hunting horn. This is what Froissart calls cornet l'assiette, but which was at an earlier period called cornet l'eau, because it was the custom to wash the hands before sitting down to table, as well as on leaving the dining-room. For these ablutions, scented water, and especially rose-water, was used, brought in ewers of precious and delicately wrought metals by pages or squires, who handed them to the ladies in silver basins. It was at about this period, that is, in the times of chivalry, that the custom of placing the guests by couples was introduced, generally a gentleman and lady, each couple having but one cup and one plate, hence the expression to eat from the same plate. Historians relate that in the thirteenth and fourteenth centuries at certain gala feasts, the dishes were brought in by servants in full armour, mounted on caparisoned horses, but this is a custom exclusively attached to chivalry. As early as those days, powerful and ingenious machines were in use, which lowered from the story above, or raised from that below, ready-served tables, which were made to disappear after use, as if by enchantment. At that period, the table service of the wealthy required a considerable staff of retainers and varlets, and at a later period this number was much increased. Thus, for instance, when Louis of Orléans went on a diplomatic mission to Germany from his brother Charles VI, this prince, in order that France might be worthily represented abroad, raised the number of his household to more than two hundred and fifty persons, of whom about one hundred were retainers and table attendants. Olivier de la Marche, who in his memoir gives the most minute details of the ceremonial of the court of Charles the Bold, Duke of Burgundy, tells us that the table service was as extensive as in the other great princely houses. This extravagant and ruinous pomp fell into disuse during the reigns of Louis XI, Charles VIII, and Louis XII, but reappeared in that of Francis I. This prince, after his first wars in Italy, imported the cookery and the gastronomic luxury of that country, where the art of good living, especially in Venice, Florence, and Rome, had reached the highest degree of refinement and magnificence. Henry II and Francis II maintained the magnificence of their royal tables, but after them, notwithstanding the soft effeminacy of the manners at court, the continued wars which Henry III and Charles IX had to sustain in their own states against the Protestants and the League necessitated a considerable economy in the households and tables of those kings. It was only by fits and starts, says Brantome, that one was well fed during this reign, for very often circumstances prevented the proper preparation of the repasts, a thing much disliked by the courtiers, who prefer open table to be kept at both court and with the army, because it then costs them nothing. Henry the Fourth was neither fastidious nor greedy. We must therefore come down to the reign of Louis the Thirteenth to find a vestige of the splendour of the banquets of Francis I. From the establishment of the Franks in Gaul down to the fifteenth century inclusive, 
there were but two meals a day. People dined at ten o'clock in the morning and supped at four in the afternoon. In the sixteenth century, they put back dinner one hour and supper three hours, to which many people objected. Hence the old proverb, Levé à six, dîner à dix, souper à six, coucher à dix, fait vivre l'homme dix fois dix. To rise at six, dine at ten, sup at six, to bed at ten, makes man live ten times ten. End of section 14